what people want is to not feel like their lives are exhausting treadmills. What people want is to feel like they they have energy to be with their families at the end of a day of work. What people want is to feel comfortable in their bodies and calm and like they can move through life from a place of ease. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. There's no such thing as free. There is no getting around the yin-yang inhalation and exhalation of life. If you think there's such thing as a free lunch, a free education, or a free sample, you're deluding yourself. If you think it's possible to step out of this cycle of exchange, then you've not looked at how nature works. I've spent way too much of my life trying to get a little extra something without a commensurate amount of giving. I've looked for shortcuts and hacks that put more money in my wallet without some kind of equivalent exchange of value or give me more skills without the equivalent effort required to attain them. It never worked. And even if I think it did, in the long run, it was not helpful. Money gets a bad rap and many of us have some uncomfortable feelings that come up with thinking about the size of our bank account the amount of green in our wallets, and the story we tell ourselves about what it means, what kind of person we are, if we have money or if we don't. It's easy to be greedy, and I'm not talking about the Wall Street white-collar larceny. I'm talking about the small ways we try to get a little something extra because we feel entitled. Entitled to not paying taxes to a government we don't like, entitled to complaining about the cost of something without paying attention to the value actually received, entitled to a pirated PDF copy of that book on Chinese medicine you want to read, but you're not willing to help support the author by actually buying the book. Notice the way your consciousness works. Are you looking at the price tag or considering the value of what buying something would mean? For that matter, do you have the ability to separate price from value? How do you determine the value of something in terms of how it would enhance your life? There really is no such thing as free, even though the internet is full of apparently free services. They're not. Somebody, somewhere, is footing the bill. Somebody is either generously putting effort into something you benefit from, but that part is invisible to you, or it is the well-baited hook of getting you to sign up for something apparently free, but the price is that your online behavior is for sale to the highest bidder. You know, there's a saying in the tech world, if it's free, it's because you're the product. It's really a Faustian bargain. We think we're getting something of value, but we are trading away our privacy buying habits, political views, and hidden urges to exactly the kinds of marketers that you love to hate. It's a mistake to think that your attention is not valuable, and that makes it the easiest thing to steal. In typical yin-yang fashion, nature is both wildly competitive and wildly cooperative. There isn't one without the other. Believing you can get something for free blinds you to the competitive aspects of life that require your astute diligence. And likewise, thinking the world is nothing but the corrupt exercise of power and privilege will bind you to the ways that mutual exchange is what allows humans to create this fantastic world in which we live. The problem with free is that it's rarely valued. 
When we don't perceive the countless interactions and beings that gave their attention and labor to bring something into our lives, it's hard to have appreciation and gratitude. Our world continually asks us what we have to give to it. But as any healer has learned within the first five years of practice, it is not possible to only give. You need sustenance as well. Without the give and take of financial remuneration, you don't get to keep doing your work. Regardless of whether you're building your business or somebody else has created a business so you have a job, you're involved in the cycles and the flow of exchange. In this world, there is no such thing as free. That goes against the workings of nature. There is, however, the rich and dynamic process of exchange. Instead of looking to get something for free, consider what goes into creating something of value. We always pay some kind of a price. The question is, are you aware of it or not? It seems like the world was built for extroverts, and the effusive outpouring of yang tends to get more notice and applause than the quiet restoration of yin. And yet, it is the quietude that creates the foundation for activity. We're going to get into a conversation with Brody Welsh on the power of yin. These geological conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Need to fill up the appointments created by late cancellations? Jane can help with that problem. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, listen for a special offer from Andrew Sturman on Diet as Medicine, and the folks at Blue Poppy share some thoughts on the safety of herbal medicine. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. Hi, folks. I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit mayway.com to find the perfect plum flower brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore whenever you need a break. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies, and enjoy bits of Chinese culture. This month, we're focusing on the treatment of various skin concerns like itchy skin and stubborn acne. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our skin health formulas this month too. Just visit meiwei.com. This season and every season, trust Meiwei for your health and wellness needs. And as always, thanks for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. Change is never easy. This is evidenced by the fact that the scales weighing the number of people on the green side of change versus the number of people on the old, hard-on-the-planet ways of doing things are still way out of balance. Our planet is suffering, but our profession has an easier way to shift the scales. The founders of AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles started with a great needle and then created our industry's first eco-friendly packaging and reusable accessories. They also give back to nature by planting trees. I encourage you to challenge yourself to make the change. 
Ride the wave of Spring Yang Chi and make the switch by joining me and the multitude of colleagues who made the change. Now you can celebrate Earth Month in April with pride knowing that you are helping us to tip the scales of planetary health towards a greener, healthier, and healing planet. Visit www.acufastneedles.com to get on board. You've probably already heard me here on the podcast share about Jane, my favorite all-in-one practice management software that helps you to run your practice online and manage no-shows. The team at Jane understands that life happens, and sometimes that means your patients are unable to make their scheduled appointment. If that's the case, a quick and easy way to fill those unexpected gaps in your day is by utilizing Jane's time-saving waitlist management features. You can take advantage of automated SMS text or email notifications to notify eligible waitlisted patients that there's an opening so they can easily scoop up an available time. If you know you're ready to sign up, you can mention the show or use the code CHEOLOGICAL for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Visit jane.app to get started today. The power of yang can more fully unfold when it's rooted in the quietude of yin. Let's get into this conversation with Brody on the power of yin. Brody Welch, welcome to Geological. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. I think yours was the very first podcast I ever guested on back when it was Everyday Acupuncture. And it's really fun to be having another conversation with you for a, a different incarnation of a podcast. It is a different incarnation. That was probably four years ago. That was back mm -hmm. when there was only Everyday Acupuncture podcast in my little podcast universe. And uh, they, I retired that a couple years ago, just put it to rest. I wanted to create a podcast where people could maybe find out about Chinese medicine, create a library and said enough, which in some ways leads into what we've been talking about. You and I have had some conversations about COVID, about life in general, and that, that kind of yin place of coming to knowing what is enough. Yes, yes, we have. <laughs> It is a, a something that I feel like is one of my sole lessons in this life is to understand uh, that it, enoughness, really. What makes you say that? How did you come to this sort of sense that you've got a lot of lessons around enoughness? Because we live in the United States, where more yes. is always gooder. <laughs> yes, exactly. I think that coming into this world as someone with naturally a lot of wood energy, a lot of drive and a lot of desire to change the world in a big way. And also seeing a lot of injustice around me as, as I was growing up, I thought I had some serious judgment about the way the world was. And I was deeply unhappy about being complicit in what I felt was evil just by existing on the planet, being part of the problem, just by burning gasoline and eating food and just being part of being part of the, what I felt like was a pretty unjust economy. And I didn't feel like I had the right to be on the planet unless I was actively making the world a better place. Like I had to, if, if I were to be in acting in alignment with my values, and those values were about improvement, that 
that basically, even as a teenager, I felt like I should probably just not be on the planet at all unless I was actively working towards its betterment. And it was exhausting. Like I was here, I was like a normal kid in suburban Massachusetts growing up and I was doing the normal kid things like music and sports and all that, but also throwing myself into activism, throwing myself into all this stuff, volunteer work, and really getting only a few hours of sleep a night and feeling like that I didn't have the right to exist without this sort of exceeding my capacity every on a regular basis. And and it took me a while to recognize that, oh, that I actually, I do actually have the right to be here and to take care of myself. And that only when I embrace that, is it a sustainable process to be of service to the world and to give my gifts to the world, whatever those may be. And even though I ended up taking a very different path of realizing that, yeah, starting a nonprofit or becoming like some sort of environmental or civil rights crusading lawyer or politician or something like that was, was going to set me up for a life of perpetual conflict that I wasn't going to enjoy and that I should find something that enabled me to, that I truly, thank God I fell in love with Chinese medicine when I did, that it's, that it's really there there is something to be said for an innate dignity and inherent worth that we all have that yin the beingness that we have to honor in order to engender healthy yang and i think you're absolutely right we live in this yang addicted culture that just absolutely glorifies the busyness and what it looks like instead of what it feels like and how fast you can achieve and just how high you can climb and how much money you can make and how many downloads your podcast can get and all the all of these metrics of success which in some ways are useful and if that's what's valuable to you then great but it's a set of values that is inherently unbalanced when we're not thinking about how it feels and what our heart wants and what our body wants and the speed of healing and what what we need to maybe leave space for in our lives in order to do the next thing. So I understand something about that kind of a youth. Not that I wanted to be an activist because I was too introverted for that. But that sense of what have I been born into here? What, how did this mess come around? I was a young kid when Vietnam was going on. And there was a lot happening at that point with people thinking, younger people in particular, thinking there's got to be another way. And of course, then there's that other generation who's thinking we're just trying to pay the mortgage. Yes, absolutely. Both of those things are true. And I'm wondering for you, as you've matured into the, okay, I've got a business and I've got a mortgage and I've got other life responsibilities, how has that shaped or tempered or helped you to get more in touch with this yin that you've been talking about? Uh, really, at long, it, it's I, I keep getting this lesson over and over again. So I started starting my Chinese medicine practice back in 2003, whatever that makes, 17 years ago-ish. And through my, I, I moved to a, to a new state and started my practice from scratch. I had student loans to pay off and, and I, I just, I, was, I didn't have any idea how to get things rolling. And so I just decided I'm going to teach people this stuff. I, I clearly need to educate them as to what acupuncture is good for and why they should come see me. And so I threw together a bunch of classes for lay people and just it's, and started teaching and built a built 
what to me was uh, a sufficiently full practice uh, within about six months. And it just never really stopped. And I just was like, okay, well, now I've got this practice. And I teach these classes on a somewhat regular basis. And I was seeing people coming in for things and being obsessed with deep transformation, not just the, the surface level. Oh yeah, your headache's gone. Isn't that great? But really being like truly interested in helping people show up differently in the world and helping it's a sort of the, the mind, body, spirit crux of Chinese medicine that I felt was so central to what was important to me about Chinese medicine and like the full potential of it that I really was I, I just kept collecting tools in my toolbox faster than my patients could implement them, I think. And it would, and it was curious to me how I would do a bit of coaching. I, at the time, I was trying to basically just prescribe, it wasn't really coaching, it was more just telling, prescribing lifestyle changes for them and wondering why they kept coming back with the same complaints over and over again. Or, oh yeah, I did what you told me to for a few days. I did that take some time for myself thing, or I did that make the healthy food or meditate and then life happened. And, you know, so then I got really interested in, in um, habit change and how to actually help people make these changes stick in their lives. Meanwhile, and I was also thinking, if I really want people to be taking their health in their own hands, I need to be teaching them Qigong and I need to be teaching them meditation. I need to be teaching them yoga and I need to be so racking up all these certifications and doing all of this kind of trying to do all the things and not subtracting. And I think that really is it, is that layering on, it's it, it becomes like that proverbial frog in the boiling water, right? That that I felt like I can do this and therefore, and I believe in this and therefore I will do it without ever really using that sort of metal faculty of discernment and decision-making to prune the tree of my wood element that was growing out of control in many different directions at once and therefore becoming really quite unsustainable. I heard you talk about feeling unburdened by your forced COVID shutdown in 2020. And I really related to that, just not even recognizing that because I love my practice and I'm grateful for the privilege to be able to do it, that there is a burden that we carry in holding space for people and for feeling somewhat responsible for their health moving in a good direction, even if we're not responsible for what they do or or the outcomes ultimately. And realizing that that there is a there's a toll and a cost that i was still paying just out of because i think it's very difficult for me to see when something is this feels right it feels in alignment with what i believe in i know i want to help people with this so i'm going to do it i'm going to layer it on because i it's harder for me to see the value in letting something go or that just how much each of these uh, that teaching and starting the podcast, for example, that that all of these things are dimensions of like little portals for our attention to to seep out of and that it's not just clinic or it's not just it's not just the running the business and what do I need to be paying attention to in order to make this happen, that each of those opens up so many infinite possibilities from there. And so closing some of those doors allows the energy to stop being what I imagine to be like the lawn sprinkler of water going everywhere in various directions in a scattered way that uh, is what I felt like was happening to me and pulling the focus into more fire hose like efficacy. 
And Mm. that has been like, just is so it's one of those things where it's okay, if it's mine to do, and if it's in alignment with something I care about, shouldn't I be doing it? And that, of course, eliminates or the, the I think what's wrong with that thinking is the idea of timing and the idea of there's of this pulsation between yin and yang that we need to respect and so that idea that oh like I, I there's like when is enough and for me again it took going into a state of some pretty deep depletion on a regular basis that was definitely have it costing my health to really get that at a new level. And I feel like then the graduate course for me came with COVID of, okay, just how tightly is my identity wrapped around the doing of it? And just how much can I let go of that and break up with this young addiction that's been dogging me forever and be able to really step into you are enough without doing a thing. You don't have to prove this to anyone. And I think that part of that is is some you know, is one of those underlying lessons that that is perhaps from an early childhood trauma or message that we received early on that we're only acceptable if X, Y, and Z conditions are met. And I think for me, just so much of, of really being in touch with that it's enough and I actually don't have to do any of it. I don't have to actually earn my right to exist. And that when I embody the kind of self-respect that I want my patients to embody, and that's a phrase that I've been using very intentionally for a few years, is that, for example, that that if someone told you, you've got to sit there and finish this project, even if you have to pee, and even if your shoulders hurt, and even if your eyes are tired, you ha- you can't, you just have to keep going. You have to override your body's wisdom in service of doing something. You're essentially telling yourself you don't matter. You're essentially creating this like evil boss and abused employee relationship within of, of just having to drive yourself in this way. And that's, and so for me, like the idea that we wouldn't take that from anyone else, But with ourselves, when that voice is on our own head, when that bully is on our own head of like, you can't sleep, you haven't done enough today, you know, then that's, it's much easier to ignore it, or it's, it's much easier for to just give in, as opposed to saying, you know what, I'm going to stand up for myself here, I'm going to honor my yin, I'm going to take a stand for it. And I'm going to recognize that actually doing these like, basic, dead, simple things to take care of myself, they matter. And that they matter in a way that actually gives I've got a question. Yeah, sure. Are they actually dead simple things to do? (laughs) Drinking water, peeing when you have to pee. Like they're pretty simple, right? Eating when you're hungry, resting when you're tired. Yeah, seemingly. Seemingly dead simple. I mean, there's so Mm -hmm. many things. You said something that really went right to the core for me because it. I didn't realize I needed to hear it until I heard it, which was when adding things also look at what needs to be subtracted oh yeah <laughs> only add for so long and and i usually think of subtracting only after the additions have become so onerous that i have to throw cargo off the ship to keep it from going down under like emergency and, mode and subtraction yeah and but i think about okay what if i turn that one around what if i just flipped it around and went instead of adding something what if i first look at taking something away yeah exactly not even think about it just let's see how the situation will naturally re-regulate itself by taking something away in the same way that you think of yeah creating a stagnant condition you don't add you don't tonify a stagnation right. That's stupid. Right. 
you would take something away. I have an example of that just came up in my life. And that's around my podcast, A Healthy Curiosity, which is a, a passion and love of mine. Like you, I wanted to democratize Chinese medicine to the masses and also look through multiple lenses at, you know, just basically bridge the gap between people who know stuff about health and people who need that information, whether that's coming from functional medicine or Ayurveda or yoga traditions or, or Chinese medicine. And I absolutely love talking to people who are passionate about things and learning from leaders in the field and enabling, giving them a platform to to speak and to amplify voices that I felt were important. And I love the like personal learning that goes on there. I love that it feels mission driven. I love that it feels like giving something back to people for free that that is and and that it involves it involves teaching and empowering people to take care of themselves, which is a hundred percent on brand for me and on values. But after four and a half years and 220 episodes and just pushing myself to produce week after week, I decided, you know what? I it, I still want to do this, but I don't want to do it out of obligation or out of the fact that I said that I would or meeting some external expectation. And so I gave myself permission. I basically did the equivalent of ghosting at a party, said goodbye to a few people, and then just went out the back door. And I, just literally the last episode that I recorded just made a little micro announcement at the end of the show. You know what? I'm not going to do this every week anymore. I'm going to do it when it feels necessary. I'm going to do it when it feels like I really have something to say or really something that is that feels important or relevant for me to share or an incredible guest that I really want to bring on. And so I don't quite know what that looks like. So I gave myself permission to not show up. I gave myself permission to not open the emails from publicist pitching Joe mediocre white dude with the same generic message as every other coach in the world or all this. I, I gave myself permission to shut that out. I gave myself permission to not pay attention to to anything else and also to just not be thinking about about that dimension of life. And immediately a curious thing happened is yeah. that the creative juices, I could feel it start to percolate. And I realized and, and I also got a few wonderful, wonderful messages from listeners and saying that actually they really got a lot of value out of just my sharing various observations about life with Chinese medicine infused. And it occurred to me, I was like, oh, <laughs> I think about Chinese medicine all the time and I don't mind sharing bits of my life with people. And so being able to do that on my terms, on my schedule, when it feels necessary and relevant and not just because it's Tuesday, that's it was game changing. And so it just this creativity percolated and I immediately recorded another episode that that felt really good and it was a lot of it was about stopping and the inertia versus momentum and and how to tell like when we get home from a long day hello everyone andrew sturman here i've been working with clients in chinese medicine dietary therapy for over two decades in new york city my focus is beautiful simple delicious and health supportive home cooking Good meals can be inspired by the strategies of classic herbal formulas so that each meal is infused with medical intention from appetizer to dessert. This requires an understanding of the energetic properties of grains, vegetables, meats, fruits, and more, and knowing which foods are moistening, drying, building, clearing, warming or cooling, as well as their directionality. I've organized these teachings in my two-volume book series, Welcoming Food, where you can learn this theory Practice it in your own kitchen and love doing so. See the positive reviews and incredible testimonials from practitioners and patients who've brought this material into their own kitchens. 
Welcoming Food Books 1 and 2 can easily be found online, and if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, where I'll be posting cooking tutorials, you can find me at Welcoming Food. Back to you, Michael. Thanks very much. What is the difference between inertia and momentum? I don't know. I guess from a physics perspective, inertia can be like the body in motion stays in motion, or it can also be like it's really hard to get a, a heavy mass going. It's going to stay where it is. So if we feel stuck in life, so I guess inertia could be both ways. And and I guess like inertia in motion, we'll call that momentum, that just doing things because you've always done them or just because they it's become a groove or a rut or a habit, or it's you're just following decisions that you made long ago and and without really questioning the direction or the sustainability of it. And that's a form of inertia as well, right? That inertia is momentum. It's the same thing in that sense, as opposed to giving yourself permission to stop or, for example, like at, at the end of a long day, if you're tired, it's if you're tired because you haven't moved enough, you're tired because you're stagnant, sometimes just starting, taking a walk for five minutes will tell you whether you're truly tired or whether you're stagnant, that your body's wisdom will kick in and you'll think, oh, yeah, actually, this feels great to be moving. So, so and I guess then you're able to make a choice because you've overcome the inertia, the just starting. How often do we feel like, oh, I should exercise, I, I should meditate, I should do my Qigong, I should, I should, I should read the Neijing. Yeah, exactly. And it's, there's some of that, it's coming from a place of should. And sometimes that should is there, we should question it, but sometimes it really is our deepest wisdom talking to us. And we won't necessarily know whether that's right action in the moment until we test it. Yeah. method. I've got an idea that this is, let's find out if it's true. Am I actually tired or am I just stagnant? Yeah. We have to do experiments on ourselves all the time. I want to come back to something that you were talking about earlier about deep transformation. You were working yeah. with people. Yeah. You wanted to provide them the context and the skills and the space for deep transformation. And the longer I practice, and maybe this is about me, or maybe this is about the client population I see, I see very few people signing up for deep transformation. In fact, I, and especially when I look at my own life, do I want to go out and court myself some deep transformation? Probably no. not. <laughs> no, 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 it's not probably not. No. Okay. My yeah, it's an emphatic no. Deep transformation is inconvenient. Deep transformation means lots of pain. Deep transformation means I need to might need to let go of things that are utterly precious. Deep transformation means being in a situation where I'm going to have to sit with tremendous uncertainty. I would love if I can possibly arrange it in my life at this point, not to be mucking with deep transformation. <laughs> I mean, exactly. Yeah, I, I totally get it. I yeah? totally get it. So I'm wondering, do you have yeah. people that really want it? Or do well, they I, say they want it? And then you say, well, here's something you can try. And they go, yeah, I decide not to do that after three days. Yeah, it's, I think it's, I don't, just to clarify, that's not what I lead with. There's, it's that what people want is to not feel like their lives are exhausting treadmills. What people want is to feel like they, they have energy to be with their families at the end of a day of work. What people want is to feel comfortable in their bodies and calm and like they can move through life from a place of ease. Like they want that the thing they're coming into clinic with might be hot flashes. It might be back pain. It might be digestive issues. But at the, when we dig a little deeper and we look at, at what's going on here, so often 
it's they know what they need to be doing to take care of themselves, but they're not doing it because their ego strategies are around who who they think they need to be in the world is getting in the way of how they want to feel. And so that's where the that that's that after the person looks at, oh, yeah, this is why I didn't act in the ways that you encouraged me to act. This is why I am overriding what I know is good for me. Because I, for example, you know, perfectionism, people pleasing, these strategies that come into play. And that's like when helping people become aware of their limiting beliefs or the fact that they really truly believe like their nervous system believes that if they surrender what their identity is wrapped around that they will die you know they see oh yeah of course i don't want to I, I, I don't want to challenge that and that's where they need help that's where they need a practitioner where they need a coach they need somebody to hold space for that because otherwise they will contract into the same shape that isn't necessarily serving them anymore and so it's helping to kind of like being the practitioner who can see what's possible when someone puts down operating in this little narrow slice of the color palette or the rainbow or the elements or however we want to think about it, that so much more becomes possible. It becomes so much more freeing. And it takes a little while for people to get that because they don't necessarily believe that what they're doing in their daily lives makes that big of an impact. And it absolutely does, right? That we know that stress is at the root of so many things. And we know that we know that things like crappy food and too many, you know, like, and not enough of, <laughs> not enough time to digest life. It's like how, how we could write a, a like a Yangsheng prescription for most people and they would have trouble following it because they, they don't believe that they can, they don't believe that they have the power. And so being able to see that, the capability and the po the possibility for change in people and to be able to hold that out for them and hold space while they deal with that very scary prospect of surrendering who they think they are is, yeah, it's, it, it takes helping them connect the dots between what they're doing and how they're feeling that then gets them interested in like, oh, right. Yeah. That is something I'm holding on to. That is something I learned in childhood that maybe the adult version of me is ready to surrender. I'm wondering about the death part because you mentioned, you said they're afraid they're going to die. And it seems to me, and this is in line with that idea of paring things away, mm -hmm. there is a part of them that does. There's a yes. part of us, when we make a change, for better or worse, doesn't matter if it's, you know, we, we could put it on the, on the good or on the not good side of our judgment. It doesn't matter. So that has been essential to our self-identity is gone. And there's loss grief and there's space. There's death in that. Yeah, there is death in that, but there doesn't have to be regret or remorse or grief for very long. Sometimes there's just freedom. Yes. Uh, spot on with that. Freedom and liberation. But there's also some grief that goes with it. Certainly. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and a lot of that is yeah, yes. Yes to the fact that if I'm not the person that everyone can count on to pick up the pieces, well, who will I be? Who will I be if I have boundaries? Um, who will I be if I'm not the person that everyone at work can count on to get things done? It's like these, yeah, there is some grief in not being that person anymore. But what they gain a lot of times, what we gain, um, what what I gained, for example, in, in sort of breaking up with um, having my identity so tightly wrapped around how much I'm doing is 
the the opportunity for yin to to come back into sufficiency yeah we were talking we had had a phone conversation a few weeks ago before sitting down for this podcast conversation and we had brought up about the blessings and influences of covid uh, the piece about being unburdened which was a monstrously huge surprise for me uh, to recognize that there's this price that I pay for the privilege of doing the work that mm-hmm. I love to do. It's very, very surprising. I didn't, I didn't quite have both sides of that yin-yang spectrum there, but it, it's more there now. I can sit down and consult with my burden, so to speak, have it as kind of a uh, member of the board of directors, so to speak. When uh, yes. I need to think about what I'm doing, or if I'm going to make changes, or what I want to do with my business, or whatever. One of the, but in in that conversation, we were talking about having a less busy practice. In fact, we we're talking about what it means to have a. I'm going to use air quotes here. Successful practice, and that busy does not necessarily mean success. And yeah, yeah exactly. Coming to a sense for ourselves in this moment with who we are in our development, wherever that might be, of what does it mean to have a successful practice and how that will most likely change over the course of our career. Yes, exactly. There's, I think what you said about, about being aware of the price that you're paying as a practitioner, um, that allows you to make a more sophisticated choice as to whether that price is worth it. So if you're comparing, like, for example, there's no doubt that I could be treating twice as many people per day that I currently am, but I would pay a price for that. And that is, I, I even though I, I've never actually taken that route, I can feel into it. And my nervous system does not like it at all. That would feel like too high a price. And so when we think about success, a successful practice has to be, you know, if we're, if we are the arbiters of value in our lives, what do we, what do we think of as successful? Like, is it number of people helped? Is it what's the, how much money you're making in a year? Is it the impact that you're having on people? And, and so thinking about like those yin and yang metrics of, of impact versus numbers, for example, just as one, it's like if I, that there's leaving room to connect more deeply with patients, leaving room to, to help them over these, what really is a life-changing potential hurdle that for me, like seeing that happen for people is so fulfilling and it's not something that I would trade for all the money that I could be making with treating vast volumes of, of people, for example. So just thinking about, about that our, our practices are, are an extension or, or they're a piece of our lives and they're an extension of our values. And so being able to feel into what success is and making sure that we are the ones calling the shots and that it's not just because there's so much noise out there, right, about the sort of the glorification of that, wow, how is this person seeing 50 people a day? Or how is this person? You know, and, and if that's if that's something that's authentic and, and true and for for someone to want to do, then amazing, awesome, go for it. But it is not, it is one model among many out there that we could adopt in terms of having quote unquote success in this profession. It sounds 
like quality, attending to quality and attending to quantity. Not that either one is better than the other, but there's some kind of an optimal mix for who we are. Uh, yeah, or or I mean, again, like one could argue that the people who are have high volume practices are giving high quality care, right? And that's that they're doing it in a masterful way that they're delivering high quality, they're delivering exceptional quality. Um, and at the same time, like there's like, I, I don't know that you can, I don't know that you can do that. And at the same time, like really hold space for the loneliness and pain that people are going through right now in COVID. It's like, I just, when I think about my elderly people who are living alone, who are coming in for, you know, their back pain, but who are also now anxious and depressed and lonely. It's like being able to, being able to have that extra few minutes to touch their head and watch their nervous systems relax or to, or to just really look them in the eye and connect with their, their experience. It's like, that takes, that can't be rushed. And that's, those are the kind of moments of, human connection and an impact that maybe it isn't coming from the years of learning, but it's a, it's a very important. Um, and for, for a lot of people, my patients that I'm thinking about, they're not getting this anywhere else. And it's, it's tremendous, right? Being like the power that we have to connect with people and to support them and to let them know that they're not alone and to, to, to help catalyze them into just being able to receive support. Like that's, those are moments that, um, don't necessarily require more continuing education. They require deep listening. They require mm -hmm. presence. They require these yin values and and patience, perhaps, and maybe lack of of driving and striving and grasping and wanting and just being like, okay, this is where I'm at, and I'm just going to accept what's here and connect with it and be with it. I've got a buddy whose practice is infused quite a bit with some of the osteopathic traditions, and often when we're talking about our work, he will bring up the word tempo. Mm, bring up mm -hmm. a lot. Love that word. As yes. a it, it, you know, probably lights you up. I'm not a musician, yeah. but when I think about tempo, I, I think about a kind of relationship. There's a synchronicity, not synchronicity, but there's like a, a synchronic aspect to it. And the thing with tempo it can only unfold at a certain rate. Yes, right, right. You can have you can have your practice clipping along at a high pace, or you can have a, a slow and steady rhythm um, as a tempo, or you can have. I feel like I really enjoy or being able to not feel rushed ever. Right, but rushing is one of those things where my nervous system contracts. So being able to do to recognize that, like for example, coaching is different than prescribing. And so having different kinds of appointments available where I'm doing, I'm seeing my coaching clients who might also come in for acupuncture. But if that's what we're doing is more the like figuring out life that I'm doing those telemedicine style, I'm doing those remotely so that, so that the tempo can change so that when I'm in clinic, I am, I'm working at a, a slightly faster cadence, but still with lots of space uh, to be with people, but that it's, uh, but it enables me to not have to shift gears so much and to be, uh, and to be kind of steadier, I think in that tempo, as opposed to the abrupt shifts that, that might, that might come about 
And I think actually, if you have a, a practice that's just musculoskeletal injuries or just internal medicine, it's easier to set that tempo and, and maybe a little bit difficult if you're, if you're more of a generalist as I am, that's just, yeah, it's a, it can be, but, but being able to, being able to create a schedule that allows for that waxing and waning without feeling rushed. I, I like your phrase here, coaching is not prescribing. It's very yeah. different. It's very different. And here's something I've found in my time as a practitioner. I am phenomenally ineffective at prescribing any kind of behavioral change for my patients. I fail at it probably 96% of the time. It just doesn't work. It's just not helpful. I have, why why I do you think that is? Because I wasn't listening to them because they actually were not asking. Mm -hmm. There was no receptivity on their end. They weren't even interested. I thought okay. it was, or, yeah, or, yeah. Maybe, uh -huh. or maybe they said something in a, an extremely half-hearted way because mm -hmm. they thought maybe they should ask about it because yes. that's what you do it in acupuncturist, but they were not actually asking. Mm -hmm. And so I've basically given up on doing any of that unless... Yeah plead with me. Mm -hmm. I usually palm them off on someone who's an expert in the field. Like if they really want to know about meditation, yeah. I'll send yeah. them off to work with somebody who will work with them with that. Or if they really want to change their eating habits, I'll send them off to someone who will hold their feet to the fire on that. I yes. ain't the guy for that. I don't want to do that. Well, and being able to refer out and having a, a a network of people that you trust that you can send everyone to frees you to stay in your zone of genius, which is great because it recognizing that this isn't actually what I want to be doing with people. Um, for me, I, I, feel, I feel like I bought into or so much of, of like feeling like I had to have all the answers or I had to, to want or um, that I, I wanted to help them fix it all. Hence, lots of different directions of of studying and training. And but one thing that I've I've learned along the way with coaching that does cross the line over into clinic that it is helping people really like when someone gets oh that that what they do matter, you know, what 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 they are doing regularly can either steer them in the direction of balance or it can steer them in the direction of disease. And that is an empowering thing to help people recognize is that they are really at the center of this. And whether that's telling somebody with an injury to stay off it, like that just whether whether it's a subtraction prescription or an addition, just educating them of, like, first of all, what are the tools of the medicine that you're willing to work with, right? Like that getting their buy-in as of making sure that they are willing to. And if someone says like, oh, yeah, well, I'm totally open to 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 whatever you have to say. Okay, then great. Then I can tell them, here's how I'm going to weight these tools, right? That for this thing, I think acupuncture is maybe not the most important tool in the toolbox for a digestive issue. Maybe actually you really need to be focusing on the food first and the eating in a non-stressed way, et cetera. And so let's have you learn how to do that while I give you acupuncture, but recognizing that teaching them how to steer and 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 how much weight you as a practitioner put on these things that can take them in the direction of of whether an action is medicine neutral or poison helping them identify that helps them understand the price that they're paying for living the the life that they're living right that then they can make an informed choice medicine as uh, i'm sorry action as medicine neutral or poison 
Yeah. That's powerful. Yeah. And, and one of my, one of the, fr- I don't, I, I do, you know, like I, I have sort of an Ayurveda informed background, even though I'm not an Ayurvedic practitioner at all, but the word Prajna Paradha in Ayurveda is like, it translates as crimes against wisdom. And I just love that because it's one of those things where somebody comes in and they're like, I know I had cheese and I shouldn't have had cheese. And I'm like, oh, yeah, crimes against wisdom inevitably brings a smile to the person's face. And I'm like, yeah, we got to live. Our lives can't be these perfect prescriptions towards whatever health looks like. Crimes against wisdom exist. But if you don't know that you're committing them, like then it's actually really useful to know this actually is taking you in the wrong direction. It might feel great at the time, but when you multiply that out over and over again, it's ultimately undermining what your deeper goals are for your health. And helping people see that, I think, is an incredibly empowering thing. What I think is even worse, not enjoying your crime against wisdom. Yes, feeling guilty about it. <laughs> yeah, that's terrible. It's awful. I feel terrible yeah. about the thing that I'm doing. It's like, exactly. well, if I do it then. Just enjoy the hell out of it. Exactly. Yes. Right. And that's, I think, that one of those one of those things that, as we think about all of the, the things that we quote unquote should do to take care of ourselves, connection and celebration and joy have to be in there. You know, like even as just as we think about things like water and and food and sleep, it's like people have to like their life. Two basic misconceptions stand in the way of people feeling comfortable using Chinese herbal medicine, even as they are feeling more positive about acupuncture. They are concerned about safety as herbal medicine is an unregulated industry and feel herbs are not effective to treat most conditions. Blue Poppy is committed to meeting all FDA safety regulations. All of their herbal products contain minimal or no filler to maximize potency and efficiency. Their granules are carefully manufactured in GMP-certified facilities, and every batch is tested multiple times for pesticides, heavy metals, and microbial content at the manufacturer and by SGS Laboratory, a Swiss certification and inspection company. For over 20 years, Blue Poppy has made quality and safety manufacturing standards their biggest priority, resulting in exceptionally effective herbal formulas. Their years of experience provide you with the best possible herbs so your patients have the best possible outcomes. With free shipping and free dropship service on orders over $50, Blue Poppy should be your favorite place to shop for herbs. Use the code CHI2024 to receive 10% off Blue Poppy products on your next order. Spot on. I see this frequently in my practice. People think they have to live this super straight and narrow life. And if they're not doing it, then they're doing things wrong. And if they if they stray just a little bit, well, the whole enterprise has now come off the rails. Yes. And I mean, what is the point of living to 96 if you're not having any enjoyment? Right. Yeah, exactly. And so, so yeah, fire has to disrupt metal in this point. If you are too routinized and too rigid with yourself and your habits, I mean, like there's, I think it, there's then, yeah, you're missing, you're missing that joy and spontaneity and fun. I hadn't thought about that as fire disrupting metal. It makes total sense. I, like I know that. that I need to melt down my metal on occasion. <laughs> I can be I can be pretty strict with with myself and my habits and a lot of that sort of like self-discipline and kindness need to be paired that in a way like just helping people automate 
the basics of health is something that I've worked towards in, in my coaching groups and bringing people together to do it together. It's a lot of like, okay, here's your medal. Here's how you can organize in a very simple way and automate something that can be foundational. And from that structure, you get freedom, right? That's sort of the paradox in it is that if you if you start your day with a little bit of water and exercise and meditation and rest and aligning with joy and your highest vibration and gratitude and all that, then, you know, like you can do that in an hour and then the rest of your day is yours to do whatever you want with. And so see what comes up with, but, but you're setting yourself up for being able to handle it better. There often is tremendous freedom that comes out of constraint. Because now you don't have to think about, oh, my God, what am I going to do with the whole world? When you've got constraint, you have to work within certain parameters. Okay, I may not like my parameters, but there's freedom within those parameters. Yeah, exactly. Like every day I roll out my yoga mat, but I don't necessarily do yoga. I roll out my yoga mat and my commitment is 30 minutes of movement. And some days that's weights and some days it's Pilates and some days it's Qigong and some days it's yoga. And But so the the unrelenting without fail thing that happens is that I get on my mat and the organic right action in the moment is the listening to myself. What do I need right now? Mm, yeah, that's a, that's a beautiful balance there. Hey, I want to come to something that we had talked about previously, and it does touch on fire and metal and wood and so many things. We were talking about how our profession is primarily women. And yet so often you see the conferences and the teachers and the this and that dominated by men. And and you had some thoughts about that. <laughs> I do have some thoughts about that. I think it is I think it's interesting and um and and woefully unbalanced to have a patient population that's primarily women and most practitioners are women, and yet the decision makers and quote unquote leaders are are disproportionately men. I think that that is, I, I feel like, first of all, it's 2021 and it, that it's like, how can we be this tone deaf to the fact that it it's like we are poorer for not having diversity on any given panel or conference. We are missing out on valuable perspectives when they are, when they're coming from uh, the same uh, the same demographics. And so, and perhaps there's this idea of that, that there might be, uh, granted, men and women can differ amongst themselves as much as they can from each other in terms of what, what they value and what's important. But there is a, I, I think that there, there really is something lost to the profession by not hearing from people, uh, successful women or non-binary practitioners who aren't necessarily seeing 50 people a day and who aren't out there being loud about their accomplishments um, and, and who aren't sort of uh, that, that there is, there's so much wisdom that we could be potentially mining as a profession that I don't know if we're doing a very good job with. And, and uh, I don't know, in addition to just the fact that that there's, it's like the nesting dolls that our profession exists in this context of patriarchy and white supremacy and capitalism and these these other things that where a lot of times I think women are socialized into thinking that their voices aren't as important or like this to, that or too that that un unless they're doing unless they're setting the world on fire that they should not necessarily 
step up and be leaders and teachers. And I feel that that there's something wrong with that. And I think that there are um, just the idea of that the statistic out there that if men will apply for jobs that they have something like 20% of the criteria for, whereas women feel like they need to meet that 100% threshold before they'll apply for that job. And in our profession, there, there's not a lot of jobs per se, but but in terms of it, so it's a lot of it's on us, a lot of it's on us to run our own businesses and be entrepreneurial and to be self-promoting. And that I think that that's seen as um, that that's usually considered a less attractive trait on a woman than on a man in our culture. And that it so I think there's part of it is that if you're a guy with a seat at the table, um, it'd be great for you use that privilege to amplify the voices of people that might not be raising their hands, might not be as eager or, or as young for the spotlight. I've got questions about this because I look at the technology that we have. I have a podcast. You have a podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Our practices. We have this incredible internet, which democratizes so much in our world. All you have to do at this point to have a voice is open your mouth. Mm, and what and what happens when you open your mouth? A lot of things can happen when you open your mouth. What are your thoughts? Yeah. I'm happy to share mine with you, but I'd like to see what happens for you when you open your mouth. Well, when you open your mouth, you risk other people disagreeing with you, belittling you, or th- like you become a target if for those who you could become a target. And I mean, even in our our acupuncturist forums online, they can tend towards extreme snark. And that seems to be that it's easier to shout somebody down regardless of their gender or or what it is than it is to to assume or like to really listen. So I think that I think a lot of people um, don't necessarily speak up because there is a you very well might be judged for what you're about to say. And oh, there's, I would, I would actually say by a certain population, you will be judged. Yeah. And in a, in a medicine that's been around for thousands of years, you can't possibly know it all. And so there's that, like, no matter how long we choose to practice and no matter how deep we go, there's always going to be more to learn. And so at what point do you just decide um, that you know enough to help potentially teach someone else? And I think that there's, that's exactly. a legitimate question. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I feel the same way. It's an opportunity to share your thoughts when you decide to speak up. Maybe you can be helpful to a certain crowd or to certain people. I hope so. Otherwise, I'm wasting my time here. Are there people who will disagree with me? Are there people who will take an active dislike? Sure. I've gotten hate mail as well. I, yeah. I think anybody who has a public facing voice whether that's a teacher or a school administrator or a podcaster or a, a practitioner who has a you know voice that gets amplified, of course, there are people who are not going to like it. The question that I have is, what can we do for ourselves to stand up and speak anyway? Because we, we no longer live in a world that has a bunch of gatekeepers. We no longer live in a world where someone's saying, you're in, you're out. Here's all you need to do if you would like to have your voice out in the world. Get yourself an internet connection, a microphone, have at it. 
start writing a blog. You could publish your own books. I mean, there's so many ways that if you have something to say, if you want to share your experience, especially if there's a, a group of people that are like your people and you want to be of service to them. Right. Raising your flag is a huge service, right? Letting them know that you exist. And I love, I love the way you put that. Like, how, what can I do? What can I do to believe that, that I've got something valuable enough to say enough to put myself out there? Um, I gave a talk at, at a podcasting conference about this. And part of it can be embodying that self-respect. How do we talk to ourselves and how do we treat ourselves as though we are someone worthy of respect and who's worthy of having their voice out there. So, and also the fact that the point that you brought up about so many different ways, right? If you're someone who hates video, but loves talking, then yeah, maybe like maybe pick podcasting. If you're a writer, pick blogging or write a book or, you know, that, but being able to, to play to your strengths and to understand, like thinking of yourself as that, kind of what is going to be best suited to you so that you have a life that you like that enables you to share what you know in a way in a through a medium that's going to match that that your personality and your tendencies i know for me every time i try to write my perfectionist kicks in and i feel like it has to be the be all end all dissertation on something as opposed to having a conversation where there is no right conversation there is no perfect call there is uh, there is only uh, what's arising in the moment, which may well be useful to someone. So uh, again, I'm back to this question. And again, I'm, I'm not a woman. So I, I don't know what it's like. I'm not any kind of minority other than I'm, I'm, I'm in the introverted tribe. Uh, again, I see this internet technology as being fiercely democratizing. I see it being incredibly empowering. The cost of entry to putting yourself out there in the digital world, raising the flag, so to speak, is so low that if you've got a library card, you can but do if, it. But if you've been told from an early age that you don't know enough as the guy sitting next to you because of your skin color or your gender or your sexual orientation or whatever, like if, if you've been in a position where you've gotten the message from the culture over and over again, that uh, you might want to check yourself, then that those messages are like, those voices are still going to be alive in your head. It's still going to, it's going to be harder. And therefore I think there, there is, this was one of those things where community can really be helpful, right? Sharing the voices of people, because again, we could all have our own podcast and blog and book, but if nobody knows it exists, then it's not actually doing what you're setting out to do. And so I feel like we do need to lift each other up and we do need to amplify each other's voices and point the way of like, hey, this person over here is doing incredible things um, so that we can contribute to that rising tide lifts all boats, like that everyone is better off when especially when we can amplify some of the the lesser and more like voices that are maybe quieter i i, I wonder about that all the time there's so many people out there again that hold themselves up as health authorities that might just have really fancy marketing teams or really deep pockets and that's why they're loud that's why their voices are are ubiquitous it's not necessarily because they have something of value they just might be extroverted 
Exactly. Yes. Or more testosterone, more more natural inclination to not care what other people think. Um, because I, I don't know a, if I put testosterone and extroversion in, in the, I don't know if one means the other. No, certainly not. But testosterone, I think, does help um, the, the, the confidence to put yourself out there. The testosterone that does that or is it experience that does that? Oh, I think it can certainly, it can come from a lot of places, but I know that, um, you know, I, I personally, I deal with anxiety on occasion and depression on occasion. And that in those moments, the idea of actually putting myself out there seems nearly impossible. And that these conditions often more prevalent in women, um, hormone imbalances, whether it, whether it is PMS related, whether, you know, that these, these moments where we can't necessarily operate as confidently in ourselves from day to day. And, and yet, so it can sometimes be difficult, but there's that balance between having compassion for yourself and recognizing that, oh yeah, good luck being able to, to confidently raise your voice when you feel um, afraid, when you feel anxious, when you feel like you've got those not good enough voices in your head. Every time I sit down to do one of these podcasts, before I actually fire up the software to do it, I sit down, I look at the microphone and I go, what the fuck? I can't. <laughs> Seriously. Every single time I sit down, I'm an introvert. Every time I sit down, I look at this equipment and I go, what do I think <laughs> I'm doing? And yet you do it. So what works for you? I just do it. Yeah. I just do it. And I would not say it's from testosterone. For me, partly it's that I've come up to that edge and that abyss and the fear, and I have survived it. And I've survived it more than once at this point. I've survived it hundreds of times, but I still walk up to that edge and go, man, I hope I can do this. Yeah. And... And partly the experience of having gotten through it other times is helpful because there's a sense of trust that if I will just show up, there will be resources that power me along the way. I do not know what they are. I do not know where those resources will come from. I do not know in what moment something will be helpful. But if I will just set sail, so to speak, I'll find a way to navigate it because I've been getting away with it so far from experience. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's where confidence does come from is the experience and knowing that it will be okay because you can trust because it's happened before. It's like clinic. It's just like clinic. Yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. Like, how do you get confidence being a practitioner? By doing it enough to realize that you know how to do it. Yes. And recognizing too that in the putting yourself out there space, that actually if you say something that people disagree with, or you get that hate mail, that you it, like you're still safe, right? It's, it, that it's a it's it's a fallacy to think that just because someone might not like it or disagree with you or that you might be wrong, that again you're not going to die. 
there's that there is it might be it might be humbling um but i think there are we do have these nervous systems that are hardwired to want to be liked because if we were kicked out of the tribe as early humans then uh we would die and so like that natural desire to want to be accepted and approved of and to fit in is part of our biology but it's it, and it's like okay it can keep us alive but it doesn't necessarily allow us the self-actualization of of uh, going beyond just surviving. And so so a lot of times the things that help us grow are, are very different than the things that help us just make it. Exactly. And, and that growth, I think there's always growing pains. That growth is always coming up to that edge of, I don't know, and this may not work. It's that, I, I think that's always present. And if you agree with me that we are dealing with very democratizing technology here, what advice would you have for people who may feel marginalized or people who just simply don't feel confident, or maybe they've got some fire burning in them, but they don't know how to get it out there. Maybe no one's told them that they could. What advice would you have for them in using this technology that, that you and I are using that so yeah. many can use these days to, to help make our world better by bringing themselves more fully out and share what they have? I would invite that person to consider their why like why do they want to speak why do they want why is it important that they be heard who will benefit when they do because a lot of times it, it that that we're willing to do it for someone else even if it feels scary right that's what enables that's what helps me to show up over and over again is to realize it's actually not about me it's about the mission it's about the people that are that I could be potentially helping by being willing to quote unquote put myself out there and so connecting with them a lot of times connecting with the why is gets can get you over the hope hump and to also just start you know that it's it, small steps over time is how we is how we do big things. And so being consistent, whether that is writing for a few minutes a day or recording a few minutes of a podcast or just reading a chapter of whatever it is, but whatever it is you want to do in life, if it feels big and insurmountable, it becomes less so and we chunk it down and we just start walking the path. And again, just that, that, that steady walking the path, feeling the fear and doing it anyway, and, and staying connected to purpose. I think it's that mm -hmm. there's that kidney fueling the the courage and and the gall, right? The the audacity to be ourselves. Yeah, the audacity to be ourselves. So thinking of that audacity to be ourselves, I'm curious to know that that frustrated teenager that you were, how does she inform your life and what you do today? How has she grown into the woman that you are now? Well, I think in some ways, like she was, you know, depressed at, because she was looking at the world in a very, in a very material way and not necessarily being in touch with this idea of presence and beingness and spirit as being sort of equally valid. And so I feel like that just that I no longer define life through action, right? That, that, that beingness and presence and that Maya Angelou quote that people will forget uh, what you said and they'll forget what you did, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. You know, that, that like there's for an ambitious wood type, young addicted teenager. Uh, I didn't know that then. 
And I know it now because when I think about what's most important to me, it's about connection. It's about the relationships in, that I have with the people in my life who I'm close to, the relationships that I have with my patients. And that through connection, it's it's like that's where the magic happens. And so that so yes, there's still kind of a and I think also just that I am I have a belief from our medicine in in the cycles of yin and yang and the cycles of change. And so the fact that like that, I mean that's that's frankly how I got through the very demoralizing Trump years is is just remembering like, okay, we've got to we've got to go all the way to one extreme that gives then and it gives birth to its opposite. And so we can't really judge what's going on in any given moment as good or bad or right or wrong, because we know that it's already catalyzing the very thing that is going to take us in a different direction. And so there's a certain amount of of uh, kind of Taoist wisdom mixed in there that it's like, yeah, I don't actually know what's right or what's wrong um, in any given moment. But I also can trust that whatever is going on is going to be different and that if I stay current with myself, uh, that I'll know what to do and how to navigate it. Sounds like good advice. Well, I so appreciate your time today. I can't believe an hour has slipped by this quickly, but it has. It's been such a fun conversation, Michael. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much, Brody. And uh, tell us real quickly where people can find you uh, on the internet because you've got a podcast too. Sure. I'm at BrodyWelch.com, Brody with an IE and Welch with a CH. The podcast is A Healthy Curiosity on Being Well in a Busy World. And I'm occasionally on social media. Great. Thanks so much, Brody. Thank you again. I appreciate Brody's perspective on attending to the quietude that supports our activity and, and how doing our work in the world, it's essential to know our why. I've heard it said that if you know what you're aiming at, then the hows will naturally take care of themselves as they arise. You don't need to know at the beginning how to do something. That's what the journey's for. And there's more grist for that mill over on Brody's podcast. So look for a healthy curiosity wherever you get your podcasts. Holy smokes, we're coming up to the 200th episode of Geological. I've been fortunate to have had the opportunity to sit down with so many skilled and thoughtful practitioners and delighted to be able to create this audio library of conversations on medicine that you can't find anywhere else. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. Mm -hmm.